On this episode of A State of Control, we talk about interoperability and ecosystems. We get into the details of why it's important for products to play nicely together and what really does it mean to be involved in an ecosystem. All that and more on A State of Control. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. A State of Control. A State of Control, episode 106. One is the loneliest number. Welcome to A State of Control, an aviation podcast that highlights the control, programming, and automation aspects of the audiovisual industry. My name is Steve Greenblatt. I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. So on today's show, we're going to be talking with a couple of manufacturers, and we're going to be speaking a bit about um, product interoperability and inclusion in ecosystems. And these are some hot topics that are certainly talked about quite a bit in the industry. This is 2023 when we're recording this. So it's something that is, is very commonly focused upon. So we'll get into the details as to why. And uh, before we do and uh, introduce those guests, I'd like to say hi to my partner here at Estata Control. He's none other than Rich Fergosa. Hey, Rich, how are you? I'm doing good, buddy. It's good to see you. It's uh, glad to ha uh, have a, another show. I'm actually doing back-to-back -back shows. I uh, had a chance to pinch hit yesterday, and so uh, glad to be in the uh, aviation rotation with my partner here. Absolutely. Yeah, you're a, a big player on, on the aviation uh, uh, circuit these days. So uh, I... Uh, our two guests today, one of them is a, a, a returning guest and the other is a newcomer, but not somebody that's unfamiliar to AV Nation. But first, let me introduce uh, someone who was last with us on episode 93. And I've gotten to know her uh, quite a bit uh, over the past year or so. And her name is Emily Eicher and she's from CUSIS. Hi, Emily. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. And last but not least, this is somebody who should 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 have had on um, probably uh, uh, a while back. Somebody who I know for many many years, and uh, of course, um, this audience probably knows her as well. And uh, she is Gina Sansevero, and she's from Atlas IED. Welcome, Gina. Thanks, Steve. You were one of the first people that I met in this industry so, so many years ago. And I'm so grateful to still be connected to you and, and so grateful that you've asked me to be on the show. Thanks. Thanks for being here. We're, I, I was trying to count the number of years. It's quite, quite a number, certainly over 10. Yes. <laughs> well, one of the things that um, we talk about often in this podcast is about the role of control systems. And, and historically, they've really been the glue that has held together uh, AV systems as a whole, they're kind of like the central nervous system. And um, we, we've really worked hard to try to uh, make disparate products work together and try to really create collaboration. But um, in recent years, there's also been a little bit of friction between companies that have been more competitive and, and um, ha have really resisted a little bit uh, to have their products work together for 
reasons that are um, business reasons. And there's also some products that have been a little walled off, and we've talked about those as well. Um, but what we, um, we, we, we want to talk a little bit about today is um, what is really the value in making products work together? So Rich, um, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about before this is how programmers are really tasked with kind of making anything that they're given work. And it doesn't really matter what the, the circumstances, what is the, uh, the, the business relationships between the manufacturers, it, the programmer has to make it work. Um, so that being said, how much of a voice should a programmer have in talking about products that may be that may play nicely together versus others that are a little bit more of a challenge? Well, if you ask this question three and a half years ago, there'd be a whole lot more pushback because integrators um, and manufacturers were very focused on monogamy um, and and you know, an integrator could be in a monogamous relationship with a manufacturer and have a, a longstanding relationship that was reciprocal. Um, and then a little virus came along and little things, the dreaded phrase of supply chain came along. And all of a sudden, what control system programmers have been doing from the beginning became a business reality. It wasn't the, oh, we don't use this or we don't use that, you know, because we're using this. Just make it work, right? That would always be the answer, right? Just make it work. Well, you know, and you'd kind of shoot on it together and there wouldn't necessarily be that that opportunity to have the conversation. And also, it was a hardware-based world. You know, I mean, when you're dealing with a 25-pin connector or, you know, having to crimp a very specific type of cable that only goes over certain distances and, and you had those limitations... Um, it was a lot easier to kind of stick to, well, that's the way it's always been. That's the way it's going to be. Um, fast forward now, as we are hopefully coming out of the, the supply chain issues that we've been faced with for the past couple of years, but more importantly, the software-based um, developments that are out there, I think that you need to be able to go to your team and find out what are practical field applications that are available. Um, we had a project the other day where, you know, everything that was kind of spec was great, but nobody considered the scheduling system. So, you know, all of these parts were going to work great for being able to conference and you could see them well and you could hear them well. And, you know, the space was lit properly, but then there was this big gap where nobody considered <laughs> how do we make sure that somebody can actually walk into that room and not jump in on somebody else's meeting. And it was one of those things where it was just like, well, that's the way it was always done, but nobody considered the backend changes that occurred that disrupted, you know, just kind of the way that it was always, that it's always worked. So I think that, um, you know, because software has eaten the world and because of the speed things move at is so quick at this pace, you have to be more willing to collaborate and to take field notes back in and work. And it's tough because, uh, you know, potentially the people who are the check signers are having to change their way of thinking, you know, or the sales engineers are having to change their way of thinking because, you know, and it, it, let's talk about it from an integrator standpoint, right? You've got sales engineers who are more boxes, more money. Right. So, you know, why, why necessarily do you look at something that's going to be a software solution that necessarily doesn't have the same commission structure? 
you know, you, 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 it, it, it even comes down to how the teams are aligned, right? And, and how you set your hierarchy, you know, because in the past, right, it was just, we talked about it in the last show, which like, you know, the guy in the bucket who shows up, you know, the, the guy with the laptop and sets his stuff on the little portable desk in the bucket, you know, or gal, um, and they, they just sit and code away. And that was kind of the life of the AV systems programmer. It's completely different now. I mean, half the time they wanted to be in your conduit to IT, which is the key to getting anything done. So, you know, more now than ever. And I think also because of the workforce that's going to be coming in, you have to be willing to give that um, respect to the remaining people who are going to be in the field who are are responsible for deploying these solutions that aren't just walking in and plugging in a cable. It's so much more than that at this point that uh, you're not going to last long if you can't figure out a way to be able to make that work. Yeah. And I think just to jump off of that, you see a lot of integrators, you know, switching to doing managed services as well, where, you know, in the past, like you said, they've just been installing boxes. And now all of a sudden those same integrators are, you know, remotely on site every day for those customers. Like we can't continue thinking the same way because our customers expect better, you know, the end user expects better and just regular old boxes aren't going to cut it anymore. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a lot of the reason why, you know, a lot of the integrations that we do at QSIS is, you know, they're very much focused on like cloud-based integrations as well as those hardware integrations. Cause that's where everything's going. You know, Gina, I'll have you uh, join in on this because uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is what what some manufacturers' role in helping to make their products um, easier to integrate and 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 also how much is taken into consideration when it comes to a programmer's role and and the challenges that they face. And you know, a lot of times we look at the the installation aspects of it, but there's also a lot of other parts that are a little less tangible. Sure. I mean, for those of us who have been in the industry for more than 10 years now, we've seen a complete re-evolution of what's happened, right? We saw all manufacturers being very siloed, very much creating a product that was in, within the A or the V or the software portion of the industry. And then as we progressed, like as a timeline moves by, you've seen mergers and acquisitions which have allowed manufacturers to become that one-stop shop, create a proprietary ecosystem and not let anybody else in. And now with supply chain, as Rich mentioned, we've seen a swing of the pendulum in the other direction. Yes, as a manufacturer, you always want to have the biggest piece of that ecosystem pie, but is it really reasonable and is it responsible for you to have every piece of that ecosystem pie? And the answer for me, and this is my opinion, um, the opinions of myself are not that of my employer. Just a disclaimer. Um, my opinion is that it is not responsible for a manufacturer to have the entire piece of an ecosystem pie without allowing a conduit into it for instances like we've seen over the past couple of years. So um, from a programming standpoint, I think that 
This is where the magic happens. Programmers have always been the ones to create the magic. Manufacturers have been the ones that gave you the boxes to create that magic, right? So from that standpoint, we do at Atlas IED, we do validation testing. We do interoperability testing. We ensure that there is a conduit into um, the solutions that we've created. We partner with programmers who are able to create modules to ensure that there's interoperability where there could potentially be a hiccup. So um, I think that just from a responsibility and a, and a uh, ease of use for not only the integrator partners that we have, but also for the end users, consistency is key from an end user standpoint. Um, so how do you create the most consistent but long-term experience possible for them. And that's by allowing the flexibility um, for programmers to create similar systems using different manufacturers should the need arise. Very well said. <laughs> I, uh, Emily, um, Gina talked about ecosystems several times, so I'm glad she did because it was a great um, lead in to what I wanted to, to have you speak about. Can one of your role is actually um, involved in product ecosystems. So, um, talk a little bit about that, and, and what what does that mean? And and I think that there's a misnomer a little bit there, or there's a misunderstanding because a lot of people use the definition differently. And yep. Gina kind of clarified by saying proprietary ecosystems versus open ecosystems. So, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so my title is Ecosystem Product Manager, um, and here at QSC, QSIS, we, uh, we basically kind of divide things up in, in multiple ways, but the two main ways you can kind of divide it up is we have a platform, that's QSIS, that's, you know, QSIS as a software, as an OS, that's the brains, right? Then you have, you know, your QSIS products and everything, peripherals and all those things. And then we have the ecosystem, and that's where we play with others, so that's... Basically, you know, your QSIS plugins that are integrating with your hardware products, your software products, cloud-based things. But then we also do our alliances, which is our Microsoft, Zoom, Google, you know, those big, uh, those big people we want to work with. But yeah, my job is really more on the ecosystem side. So, you know, partners like Sennheiser, things like that, bringing those people in um, through our technology partner program and then making sure that they also have the resources that they need through our developer partner program um, so that, you know, we can make sure that the plugin or whatever integration we're making with that partner ends up working and is supported uh, so that our customers have less pain points with integrating with those, uh, those partners and us. So that's kind of how we view the ecosystem is more so how we play with others and bringing others in because as every manufacturer knows, and, you know, Gina pointed this out, it's like, you can't make every possible product ever. I mean, they, we're just going to continue to innovate as an industry and no one's ever going to be able to keep up with every single product. So we have to work well with others. Um, and, you know, and it also helps with supply chain that you're not having to uh, manufacture all those things, especially if there's, you know, hardware components to that. So, so that's kind of how we're, you know, we're positioning um, in the market. And it's really exciting because, you know, we, we've made a big deal about the ecosystem as well as our alliances, um, to, you know, just going forward, it's a big part of who we are as a company. Yeah, I think Emily brings up a, a, a really good point there, um, especially in an industry where standards are, um, in, in air quotes, 
um, it, it becomes really difficult to ensure interoperability. It becomes really, really excessively expensive for a single manufacturer to support any all aspects of this industry. So um, I, I feel like until, if, when, not sure, um, there are kind of cut and dry standards, we're really going to need that interoperability that programmers truly ensure happens. Um, I can't imagine the job that programmers have, and this is not to like pat you on the back or anything. I just don't understand the job that you have to keep up with the constant innovation and evolution in this industry. Um, you know, our engineers, our product development teams are constantly at work, times that by hundreds. There's 800 exhibitors at Infocom. There's over 900, almost a thousand at ISE. When you look at that and you're trying to plug all of these pieces together and they're changing every year, they might not be shipping every year, but they're changing every year. My goodness, that is a heck of a, a lift for our programmers. Rich, uh, why, why don't you weigh in from a programmer standpoint? Um, what, what, what does that look like? And what, what, what is the... Um... Uh, it, it, will programmers um, get to the point where they're going to um, look to try to simplify things and key, and and find ways of being able to, um, I guess, leverage compatibility and so forth, or or is is really the challenge the what what they they really thirst for i think it's interesting in that programmers could potentially leverage their desirability to other companies if they decide to invest in focusing on how they can make as many systems compatible as possible um i'm viewing this as not only from the business owner standpoint but also for programmers who are coming up and, and looking for direction in the industry in that the more that you are willing right now to invest in being as multifaceted as possible so that you at least get a good understanding of everything that's out there, items that are coming up, it gives them a unique position um, to be able to say, look, I am becoming a more valuable part of this uh, organization. And, you know, it, it, it gives them an opportunity to be more than just the programmer. And, and again, I mean, that's what we're tailoring this to um, because, you know, manufacturers are going to go off and they're, they're, they're obviously going to keep pushing what they feel is their best technology. That's just, you know, that's just part of being in business, right? They're the best. They believe that they're best. They want their products to be out there. Um, but end users are going to want what they think is the best, and they're dealing with all kinds of other factors. And that's always been the dilemma, right? But with software-based services now, it makes the boxes less important because a box is going to be a box is going to be a box, but they're all still delivering the same solution. Are you able to get a Zoom room client working properly? Is a Microsoft Teams room working? Is a, a Google uh, Meet working? What if you have to do all three, right? So all of a sudden, what used to be, you know, those closed silos, and let's just take video conferencing as an example, right? 
15 years ago, <laughs> you know, you got, you, you know, what was it? You, you can have any color you want as long as it's black. Um, if you were going to do high-end video conferencing, um, you had a solution, not solutions, solution. Now you can go into any organization and it's literally at the Baskin Robbins of options, whether you walk into a huddle space, you know, desk share, you know, I'm hearing a whole new phrase today, desk sharing, right? They're co-oping desks now because of the hybrid solutions that are going to be coming into the workplace. So the first thing that I think of going is I'm going, gosh, now I've got to spend a day figuring out how desk sharing is going to work in a greater ecosystem, um, you know, with, with, with all of the variables that can go along with that, right? And all of a sudden you start thinking about desk sharing, you're like, hey, well, what if you took wellness into place with that and circadian lighting? What about, you know, what about presets for users? I'm like, all of a sudden your mind starts racing with these things. This is a software-based solution. All of a sudden it becomes, well, what if it goes into cloud? You know, and I know that manufacturers are looking at that going, holy cow, how are we going to deal with this? And how do we deal with sound masking? How do we deal with extension routing? I mean, all of these things start coming into play. So, you know, what that means for the programmer themselves is, you know, it, you know, in, in sales, it's ABC, always be closing. With programming right now, it's ABL, always be learning. You know, you you have it. And, you know, I'm a 50 something year old Latino guy and I'm sitting there going, I'm going back to school every day. You know, I, I, I'm grateful to Atlas IED and for QSIS for, for their educational tracks. You know, I've been immersed in those, um, you know, and the old dogs having to learn new tricks myself on this one. And I'm also learning at that point where I'm going, you know what, I need to be able to empower others to take this. I, I need to know kind of the, the 30,000 foot view of what's going on, but I need to myself look at others in my organization to be able to empower them and give them the ability to be, um, you know, those thought leaders at that point. Um, and I think that from a business standpoint, that's going to be the really interesting part from an integrator standpoint, even from, you know, mom and pop programming houses. Um, you've got to decide how you're going to invest in your people because it's going to be brain share that you're going to be dealing with. It's like, who's going to pay the most for that brain share? Because you've got people who come in and they go, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I've got uses of this. Yeah, I didn't use your software, but it doesn't matter because I can walk over and use this software. That's an imminently hireable person. That's somebody who can write their own ticket. And so that's, you know, kind of the advice that I'm, I'm, you know, that's kind of what I'm laying down for everybody, which is, hey, look, you know, this is this is more important than anything else. Come out with your CS degree. That's great. But now you've got to go to 2.0. Yeah. You, you, you have to be willing because there is such a wide vista of, of systems out there that you've now got to cobble together. And, and, you know, again, if you started in the pandemic, it's been trial by fire. You had no choice. Right. We were, you know, it was kind of like the old days. I was like, yeah, this is square peg round hole. <laughs> we're going to shave it. And all right, here we go. Um, that's just going to get accelerated because end users are going to ask for it. And because the workspace, you know, and again, education and government and resi and all of these things, you know, but like, you know, even just the, the tip of the iceberg is going to be the workspace because that will go out to education, that will go out to government, that will go out to all of those others. Because once they see it adopted and people see it and they come in and do a presentation someplace, you know, in a small space and they go, hey, that worked. It's gonna grow. It's it's gonna be interesting. 
I actually had a question for for you and Steve, Rich, kind of flipping the table here um, really quick. Now, we're talking about audiovisual, but clearly in workspaces, corporate buildings, education, government, transportation, you name it, it's there, hospitality, a whole bunch of other industry ecosystems are playing with us, right? We're talking about, you know, HVAC. We're talking about security systems. We're talking about clearly IT. So you have all of these other industries that now you have to somehow figure out how to interface while our industry continues to innovate. And I'm sure their industries are not staying still either. How do you learn their language? What, what I would add, I guess, to, is that we're starting to see more specialists that people that are take different parts of the, the responsibility. So one of them that my company does is we focus on the middleware. We focus on making the APIs work together. Others focus on more of the user experience. Others focus more on the backend code. Others focus more on what we call, I guess, business logic. How do, how do you want the system to work and what are the specific needs of the user? That, that's what I would, where I think things are headed because we, we've tended to have a singular solution and one person responsible for it. I think to your point, um, the, the greater the, the uh, surface and, and uh, uh, amount of technology we have to cover, it just can't be done by one person anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, just kind of going off of actually everything um, everybody's been saying, I think it's important, you know, my background I was a programmer. Um, I worked for an integrator. Uh, I think it's important that anyone that is a programmer for the history, you know, for the future of their career and for where we are now is to really always be thinking about the experience and kind of take yourself out of, you know, okay, I need to make this thing work and kind of think about, okay, well, what is this enabling? And that will also just drive your, um, your business forward and your roadmap and, and what you're doing and, and uh, what things need to work together to really bring that experience for the customer. Cause people, like I said, they're expecting more from us. You know, they, they want, they want to walk into a room and it just works. It's, it's not like, you know, 15 years ago where you walk in, you got a VGA cable and you got all this different stuff and there's like five, 10 remotes, you know, it's not like that anymore. You want to walk in there plug your computer in or, you know, press a button and boom, you're in the meeting or your, you know, your shades are lowering all these things. And that's that experience. So it's good to take that high level view sometimes because I think programmers, we can get really like bogged down in the the details, but that helps kind of at least motivate me um, going forward. So. And, and kind of um, exactly what Emily is saying is people walk in and want it to work. Now people walk in and want it to do more. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like I get into my car and I just got a new car. I haven't had a new car in 10 years. The the evolution of that technology is causing me to sit down and go, I actually have to read the owner's manual. Um, not really. It's super intuitive, but, but it has come a long way. Now I have my maps from my phone right on the dash, right? My entire screen is a touch screen. Everything can do more than my expectation. Um, and it makes my life easier and it works. I mean, until it doesn't, but yeah. it works. Um, 
So, so I think that's really kind of the nuts and bolts of it is that it has to work and then it has to do more and it still has to work. As we, as we wrap up, um, one of the things that I think we should talk to, uh, both the, uh, our, uh, listeners and, and, and the programmer audience, as well as others who kind of want to understand better how products can be more interoperable and how, and, and, and how to make good choices. And, and, you know, we, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we talked about the, the existence of walled gardens and, and products that are, are less um, open. And then Gina said, talked about having, you know, ports into different ecosystems. Um, uh, Emily, I'll, I'll let you start on this. Um, what, what are, what are, what would, are the recommendations that you would give to somebody to, in terms of when they're looking at products, how, what, are, what are some of the things to look for to ensure that this is something that they can invest in and that they're not going to find themselves in a dead end? Yeah, I would say um, one thing is looking for products that say that they, you know, they're known for interoperability and then ensuring that that interoperability isn't being squelched by something else. So that could be another API on top of that. Maybe you don't have access to other things. Um, but interoperability is great. And obviously, you know, your standard protocols and realize that you're, you know, really knowing, okay, this platform that I'm using supports XYZ, you know, type of protocol, you know, for their API. So we can make this work. Um, and kind of like what we do is we do, we do API reviews first. We make sure that, okay, this all makes sense. And we do like a proof of concept. So this is like pre-work, you know, so that you can make sure that this thing is actually going to work. Um, and really, yeah, just doing, doing the pre-work so you're not wasting your time because, you know, there's as much as, we would love everything to work nicely together. There's always those weird little gotchas that, you know, might need a, you know, an update on the platform might need, you know, something else in between it to, you know, to make it work. So it really just saves you time, just making sure that you get all your ducks in a row before you start, you know, committing to selling a product on a job. Gina, it's kind of a similar question that, you know, we all, in the end, we know many people can make it work, but sometimes it's, can you make it work within the parameters of the project or can you make it work so that a client's going to be happy or can you make it work to uh, meet a specific budget? Um, what, what are some recommendations that you give, would give to somebody or, or like from a manufacturer's standpoint, what are some of the things that you're thinking about when you're trying to address some of those needs? Yeah, from, from a consultant standpoint, integrator standpoint, I would recommend that you ask questions of your manufacturer. Um, find out what processes uh, for quality assurance, for validation, and for interoperability that they have in place. If they start kind of moving around your question, um, you might want to question whether or not they really want to work in the, in, in the space and play nice with others. Um, you know, we have a validation lab and a testing lab in Louisville. We allow our customers to come to that lab and take a tour while it's running, right? Um, while our, our employees are there and look at the process. Uh, we have partners that, and, and they're not only within the audiovisual industry, but also within the IT and security industries where we ensure um, that we test our products with their products. Some of the big players in security that potentially AV 
industry doesn't even know. Um, but we have partnerships there that we work through and work with. So I just think ask questions, make sure that you know what you're getting into when you're choosing um, an ecosystem partner. I think that's a good place for us to stop on this one. Th thank you guys uh, for sharing this insight. This is very valuable. And I think this is a conversation that needs to be continued and I'm sure will be, and we'll, hopefully we can uh, have a follow-up uh, to discuss more of this. Uh, um, Emily Eicher from QSIS, thanks for being with us. How can people get in touch with you and learn more about QSIS? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Emily Eicher, E-I-C-H-E-R. Um, you can also uh, see me on QSIS Communities for Developers. Definitely recommend joining that if you are doing any sort of QSIS programming at all. Uh, ha uh, hang out with us on there. Um, and yeah, I'll see you at the trade shows. <laughs> Wonderful, and uh, I, I, you know, whether it's QSIS community or or others, it's such a great place because it, if you want to get access to the people who are actually working on the product and the software, that that's where you can find them. So it's that's a great asset to have. Uh, Gina Sansevero from Atlas ID. How can people get in touch with you? More more about Atlas ID. AtlasID.com. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter at Atlas underscore IED and at Gina Sands. Uh, Instagram, but that's mostly food and dog pictures. Um, and Atlas IED has a Facebook page. I do not. Um, so that's where, but I really, really quickly, Stephen Rich, hats off to you. Um, the fact that there are two women on this show and two men is exactly how we want to see the representation of this industry. You have done a great job. Um, and and I really, I commend you. Appreciate that. Actually, while we have you, can you speak a little bit about the work that you do in the industry, um, promoting women in the industry? Because both Rich and I um, are, are big advocates and uh, it's something that we're proud of. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, really quick, the Avixa Women's Council um, is one of the organizations, there you go, Emily, um, that supports and extends the network of women um, to ensure upward momentum. Um, Wave It is an organization that we just launched that is kind of taking a three-pronged approach to um, bringing women into this industry and and empowering women, and that would be education, so career development, um, recruiting, so outreach to bring more ladies in, and then um, also empowerment, so expanding the network and also bringing in um, those around us who are able to lift up um, and kind of minimize imposter syndrome, have a, a working, um, trustworthy, group of people surrounding you that will help you to excel and succeed, uh, whatever that means to you. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And just to clarify too, please don't think that these are exclusionary to women. Men are also welcome, correct? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, we are only stronger the more diverse we are. So we encourage everybody to, to join both groups. Rich, another great show. Um, any closing thoughts and how can people reach you and find out what you're up to? I just love sitting back and listening. Cause again, like I said, I, I, I learn a whole lot more when I get to sit back and, and hear from two powerhouses like Gina and Emily and, and uh, you know, and, and, you know, not only as individuals, but the companies that they represent are really committed to 
um, you know, of collaborating, you know, across the board, you know, equity and diversion and everything else. But, you know, I've had I've had the good fortune of dealing with both, you know, um, and, and their companies uh, quite recently. And, and it's been great, you know, because there is that spirit of openness. Um, and, you know, hopefully other manufacturers will take a look because, again, if, if you're not if you're not changing the way they used to do things. Um, and focusing on the way things need to be, um, you know, you'll see more and more out of their stuff. And yeah, they will have everything. So you know, you'd never know. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I, I, I focus on our guests. But if you do have to track down Uncle Richie anywhere, you can find me on the interwebs uh, at Arfragosa is the Twitter. Um, it's also Instagram as well. But same thing is kind of like food and dogs and my kid and, you know, uh, Magic the Gathering, so, you know, silliness, stuff like that. Um uh, if you want the company, uh, you can find us at Um, But as I always say, first and foremost, where I hope you find me the most is here on Aviation.tv and our slew of shows that cover all of our verticals and hopefully here with my partner, Steve. Come visit us on our show. So that's always my message and support our sponsors. Absolutely. And check out uh, all event coverages as well. We talk about Infocom and other trade shows, and there's a lot of that on uh, Aviation to get uh, anything that you may have missed or get to see things through uh, a different lens. So please check that out. Um, for me, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media and my company, Control Concepts at controlconcepts.net. And um, as uh, we always try to say, we want to hear from our audience. We want to expand our reach. We want to expand our guests so, and also make sure that our topics are hitting home with you. So we look forward to your feedback. Uh, please share your favorite episode and please uh, reach out to us because we'd like to hear from you, whether we get to see each other in person or whether it's uh, just a quick note or, or a message over uh, social media, please uh, reach out. And with that, this has been State of Control.